surround yourself with other amazing people who are driven and motivated. You don't need to compare yourself with them. But I guarantee if they are beautiful people who are also driven and motivated and passionate and, you know, shared kind of commonalities, you are all going to go so far. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Vegan Women Collective podcast. I'm your host, Rachel LaMarche, and I'm a co-founder of the Vegan Women Collective, an organization that highlights and supports the activism and entrepreneurship of vegan women through panels, workshops, and this hopefully interesting, informative, and inspirational podcast. For this episode, I spoke with serial entrepreneur Sarah Riegelhurt, who is also the author of the book Get Rich Slow, Start Now, Start Small to Achieve Real Wealth. She co-founded the financial advising business Wealth Enhancers, of which she was the CEO before selling to concentrate on her current venture, Grow My Team. She also sits on the board of the League of Extraordinary Women and manages most of her businesses remotely while she travels the world. When we spoke, she was in Colorado enjoying the ski season. Sarah was also named as one of Melbourne's top 100 most influential, inspiring and creative citizens by The Age, enlisted in the top 50 female entrepreneurs under 40 by Shoestring. She is personally fueled by a passion for community, gender equality and living life on one's terms. Sarah and I spoke about veganism, financial planning, following your dreams and the power of surrounding yourself with like-minded people. Also, because we do discuss finance and wealth management, I need to say that our conversation is for general information purposes only. It is not intended as legal, financial or investment advice and should not be construed or relied on as such. As always, if you'd like to keep up with the events that we hold, please do follow us on Instagram at Vegan Women Collective or join our Facebook group, which I believe you can find just by searching Vegan Women Collective in the Facebook search engine. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's start the show. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. If you could just tell me a little bit about what your your vegan journey has been so far. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was probably about 15 or 16 years old when I just really went off the taste of meat. I didn't really know why. I just stopped liking it. So I stopped eating it or just sort of cut it cut down. And I guess started identifying as a vegetarian and then my mum was all like panicking and made me go and get blood tests all the time and my levels of everything were really great always and I used to pin them on the fridge just to show her that you can be (laughs) healthy vegetarian. And I was never like massively into dairy, so I didn't eat like a lot of it. Um, And probably I read a book called skinny bitch I think it is yeah I I have that book (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think I was probably like 22 or 23 and I read that and a lot of it made sense to me I mean there was definitely like I was probably a little bit more focused on my own physical health and and I certainly didn't understand I was still of the mindset of like well I definitely don't want to eat meat because that's killing animals but dairy's like okay that's how I thought at that time but but a lot of the health stuff resonated with me and I was like hmm I'll try this. So I tried and I think I was vegan for maybe a year, but it got challenging and I travel a lot and always have. And back then I obviously didn't have the financial resources either necessarily to buy the food that I now am very, very grateful and lucky to be able to buy. Um, 
but it got a bit hard and I think over time I just got a bit more relaxed so but I, I pretty much remained vegetarian throughout I've, I've, I have eaten meat on occasion and had little periods um, when I did but mostly haven't and then about three years ago I don't really even know or remember what inspired it or what happened but I watched three documentaries in a weekend and I was just like I am so done with the animal agriculture industry and I do not want to support it in any way and I watched um, Forks Over Knives I watched Veducated and uh, oh Cowspiracy and it kind of gave me everything I needed like there was the health side there was the animal cruelty side and then there was the environmental side and the environmental side is really, I mean, the animal cruelty is definitely a big thing, um, but tying that in with what's actually happening to our planet um, yeah. and just even what's happening to the native animal population as we farm, clear land for farming, for animal agriculture, I'm just like, oh, I just, I just can't. Like, it's so easy for me to be vegan. Now I'm very much on the journey to like elimination in all areas. Yeah, it's really a journey in that sense. And that's one thing that I've found super interesting in interviewing different people and asking them about their individual journeys is that you get such different elements or people come at it from such different angles um, that it's always interesting. And also, I think it's important to highlight how there is no right or wrong way. In the end, it's all for the same common objective. Totally. Yeah. It feels very incremental. Like I've my knowledge has grown from what started as just a natural kind of, I don't think I like meat anymore. Like it was just a a preference. And then I guess that just kind of started opening up a journey that has been 20 years now, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you know, you're still on that path and you mm-hmm. keep learning and, and everyone learns in different ways and at different rhythms. So my next question is, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Melbourne or whereabouts in Australia? Yeah, I grew up in Melbourne until I was 10 and my parents separated, at which point I moved to Brisbane. So with my mom and my dad stayed in Melbourne. Then when I was like 20, 19, actually it was 18, I went to England. I was 18, that's right. Um, Did like the six-month working holiday visa and then went back to Melbourne. Um, And then ever since then, I've kind of been all over the place. I've lived in Melbourne, I've lived in Vancouver, I've lived in London, Dublin, Colorado. Um, Well, that was a great segue into my next question, which is, can you tell me a little bit more about your businesses? Because you've got multiple businesses. Do you run them all from the road? Yeah, I I turned all my companies remote about five years ago because I love to travel so much. It's sort of my freedom is my highest value and, and travel is one of the things that I guess is represented within that. I've loved it since I was on my first trip when I was 18 and I always wanted to build a life that Um, gave me that freedom and flexibility to just be where I want to be in the world. So I decided to very consciously and intentionally um, turn my companies remote. As a result of that, I started a company called Grow My Team, which is remote staffing, which is the company I'm now primarily focused on. So kind of funny. Um, I I solved my own problem and, and now I run that company. So I was in financial services for 17 years and sold out of my financial planning, my last financial planning company last year, sold three companies along the way. Um, yeah, founded about, I think eight or nine companies and failed a bunch and spectacularly and some just kind of never really took off. And then there was three that did well and I sold them and, um, 
so and I guess I'm yeah I'm working on Grow My Team at the moment and then I have the League of Extraordinary Women which my co-founder Cheryl Ty is a CEO of so I'm more in yep. a board board position there and just last year at the end of the year I started a company in property development and investment over in the US over here so I've got a few things on the go but Grow My Team is what I spend 80% of my time on. Wow, incredible. How are you so motivated always to start so many different businesses? Um, I, I think one of the questions or one of the answers is I like variety. So even when I was working part-time jobs at high school and while I was studying, I, I often had like two or three different jobs for no reason other than I quite enjoyed bartending. I didn't mind working at the gas station and it was pretty cool working in the, doing troubleshooting in the in the library at my TAFE. Like, I don't know, yeah. I just enjoyed the variety. And so it, it's weird because it doesn't really surprise me. Um, I've, I've also moved countries and moved house. I've not lived in a house for more than 18 months since I was 18 years old. Like, even if I've stayed in the same city, I've moved house. So I, yeah. I enjoy a lot of variety in my life and a lot of different, I guess, stimulation. Um, but, and, and I just, I do have a lot of ideas. And then the ones that I get too obsessed about, I just have to usually start them. Um, I've had business partners and great teams and, and still do have great, a great team or teams in my companies. And that makes a big difference. Um, and it's not necessarily easy and it's not necessarily for everyone. And it's not necessarily the smartest thing to do, but it is who I am. Like, I just really enjoy it. And I think if I was only doing one thing, it just wouldn't be enough mental stimulation for me. And I would get bored and I would get disengaged. Some entrepreneurs that I've spoken to have been unsure about how to manage that many businesses at once. So do you have any, well, advice for anyone that would be kind of struggling with the idea of running multiple businesses? What what tools do you use to be able to continuously evolve and change and have so many things going on? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'd say is it's it's not for everyone and it's not necessarily something to be aspired to if it's not who you are. Like there's a very strong argument for focus and, and, and you know, having one single focus and pushing really hard and potentially, you know, you might be able to create something bigger or better. But I'm just a big proponent of knowing who you are. So like I said, if, if I only did one thing, I may not actually have the success um, that other people would through that singular focus, because I would probably get a little bit bored. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of like tips and tricks, I think you need a really good team. You cannot be a doer. Like you have to be willing to get your hands dirty and there'll be times in all businesses, especially when you start up where you've got to be a doer, but you need to be a very, very effective delegator and be very trusting in your people. Um, I love my team. Like I love everyone who works with me. It's just kind of, if I don't love them, then they're not going to work with me very long. And you know, hopefully I didn't hire the wrong person in the beginning. It does happen. But I really trust and aim to empower my team to own their stuff. And I try to hire people that are better at that little part than I am. Um, and I know they always say, like, you know, be the dumbest person in the room and all. It's not necessarily that. It's just, like, I am an all-rounder. I love all these different elements of business. And I can kind of do it all. But I want to hire a marketer that's better than me, even though I might be okay at marketing. And I want to hire a recruiter who's better than me, even though maybe I could teach myself. I don't know. I'm not, I've never done recruitment, but maybe I could teach myself to be a recruiter in my financial planning businesses. Like I was a great financial planner early on. I think I did a good job. But by the end of building Wealth Enhancers, which was 10-year career in running my own financial planning companies, the financial advisors who worked with me were way better than I was. Like 
So I think really just hiring and empowering people to be amazing at their, their part of the business so that you can kind of step into, for me, it's, it's all strategy, strategic thinking and leadership and, and kind of inspiration. Like I just love to lead my team and fly the flag for the vision for whatever it is that we're trying to create, however we're trying to change the world. Like I just want to be the proponent of that and then thinking about the strategy and how we can how we can get there. So it's like working on the business instead of in the business, like that whole messaging around being sure that you surround yourself with people that can do the work better than you while you lead from the top type of situation. My first year in business, I didn't have, you know, my first, it it took time to get to that point. And I, I, I spent years being a doer in my company. And it wasn't until I stepped really, truly stepped into leadership and truly started trusting the people who worked with me that I was actually able to expand and do other things. Would you say that that's been instrumental to your success, the fact that you've been able to make that switch? Yeah. It's um, like my proudest achievement, actually, to get to that point, to let go of like having to be the one that does everything because I need it to be perfect, to let go of that and to start letting other people do it. I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of that switch that I made and what I've been able to see in the people that work with me, to see them step up and to see these amazing people do amazing things and not be like, hamstrung and overshadowed by me that's really cool well that's great I feel like it's a struggle for I mean this is from a personal perspective but that can be a struggle for a lot of women to to let go of all of those responsibilities because I feel like most women that I've met that are within the entrepreneurial journey they do tend to be quite I don't know protective of what they do or uh, not necessarily confident in the work of others sometimes it's practice it's just a constant practice and you can't do it all in one day like you can't just decide tomorrow I'm going to turn up to work and not do anything anymore and lead my team and be a strategic thinker like it takes years in many cases um, to kind of unwind reality is like most of us we start our careers when whatever whatever that is as the doers and then maybe we go into business and it just naturally you do the things because you know how to do them and it, it takes a long time and I think the key is not to beat yourself up, but to be moving toward that aspirational state if, if that is what you want for your career. Yeah, well, that's really great advice. I know that you said that you sold out of the company, but I was really interested in that path around financial investing and wealth management because I feel like it's quite rare that I see women in those positions. And so I was wondering, I know that that's not necessarily what you're investing your time in at the moment, but what would be like the key things that you would say for people that want to take a better control of their money and especially women? Yeah. And I mean, I'm still super passionate about it. It's something that I spent my whole career to date um, in is, is financial planning and investments and financial services and all of that. And in particular, you know, passionate about helping women and, and millennials. That's really, Wealth Enhancers is, is all about helping millennials with their money. But I think, you know, the first thing is really understanding what you want for your life, like where you want to take your life and, and realizing that your money is going to just enable that. Like it doesn't need to mean anything more or less. I think we have very complicated relationship with money for sure. But it's really about, so for me, I mentioned earlier, like I love to travel and from around the age of 18, I was like, I want to create a life where I can travel. And so when I started taking control of my money and and it was very motivating for me, that goal, because I thought, well, I need to ensure that I have enough financial freedom to be able to do that. So understanding what you want is a, can be a really big motivator when you connect that with your wealth 
because you're not going to have that life if you don't manage and look after your money and get it working for you so that you can create it. If I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be living the life that I am now. The other thing on that is just to get started. So a lot of us sort of spend time thinking when I get that pay rise or when I get that new job or when I do this or when I do that, you know, life will be different. And when I'm earning more, I'll just have more. And that's just not the case. Um, you could be earning hundreds of thousands of dollars and be spending it all. It's really not that hard to spend money. It's it's quite easy if you're in bad habits. So getting started as small as that is immediately is the most important step. So even if that was saving $10 a week in some savings account that you couldn't touch or using you know, there's so many apps these days where you can actually invest in the stock market for $10 a week. If that's as small as you have to start, that's fine. If it's $100 a week or $100 a month or $1,000 a month or whatever you can do, just get started. Because the longer you leave it and the longer you put your potential future wealth on some thing that needs to happen first, you'll never get there because you'll always just continue to spend. Because it's a lot of it is about creating discipline and saving habits and it's not about depriving yourself of everything it's just about spending a whole bunch now on great things now but thinking about that lifestyle that you want to create later and ensuring that you're starting to build for that like this whole idea that you think about your future self in a way like yeah and like thinking know who you really are I once really wanted to buy a Louis Vuitton expensive handbag and one day I bought it and then I was like huh I don't really care. Like, <laughs> I just don't really care. Like, it just didn't add enough to my life. Whereas, go traveling somewhere and I'll be talking about that forever. And that's me. Like, some people, the handbag or the car or the whatever will really give them a lot of joy and a lot of pleasure. But just be honest with yourself about who you are and what actually gives you pleasure rather than mindlessly spending money based on either just what you've always done or what you think is greater what other people are doing or what society is telling you like what is it that you want for your life yeah that's fantastic because yeah a lot of people sometimes even just get into their spending habits just based on the behavior of others nothing to do with them and what they perceive it's just because they don't stop to think about it they just totally kind of do it because they that's how it's been and that's how it goes and that's what others around them are doing exactly from a personal perspective I've always felt that the stock market is like a scary place. I find it very, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just feel like there's so many intricacies and you just don't know what you're investing in. So my interest, just from the fact that, I mean, when you were growing the company, despite the fact that you might have not been fully vegan or that you were kind of on the fence, you still were living according to a specific set of values. That's not necessarily the norm in society. My question would be, how do you find information around investing within companies that are in accordance with your values? Yeah, I think that's a super interesting one. And I think that that market is very much developing. Um, over in the US, there's a lot more access to funds like that, or a lot more diversity in what we would call, say, ethical investing. Um, in Australia, we might have like a couple of funds that are ethical, but in the US, it might be like more drilled down into like ethical in, in this area, ethical in that area or whatever. But it's a developing kind of trend. I think that like all of my wealth or most of it, um, I've moved over the years kind of on that journey toward living more closely to my values as I uncovered them and discovered what they were. I've moved most of my wealth and investments into ethical funds, ethical ETFs, um, whatever whatever options I've got available, whether it's in my superannuation or 
whatever. So having a look around for these funds that are uh, ethical and, and reading up on what, so every every investment fund has a product disclosure statement and you can read up on what does ethical mean for this fund? Like what, a lot of it will be, we don't do tobacco, we don't do gambling, whatever. So to find like a fund that is investing in vegan companies in Australia is probably pretty challenging, um, yeah. even over in the US. Yeah. So, you know, to be that specific is a little challenging, but at least you know, I, I like the idea of uh, net positive impact. I might not be able to be perfect in every area of my life, but like in the grand scheme of things, my net impact is positive. It's as ethically invested as I've been able to find and make it. And I think like everything, we have to prioritise all the different areas in our life and, you know, just constantly be striving for better. So I'm in the US and I'm looking at I do a little bit of angel investing and like there are now some angel investment funds that or groups, syndicates that are investing in, in vegan companies. And I'm super excited about that. And it's probably something I'll, I'll look into, but you know, I couldn't necessarily do that five or 10 years ago and I didn't necessarily have the amount of money that, that would give me that access. So I think it's just making the best choices um, that you can with what's available to you and not That's- beating yourself up about it. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Would you say that for someone that's a complete newbie to the investment market, is it possible to kind of get in with even the little bit of savings that you have? Totally. I mean, the first thing is, if you're if you're working in Australia, you have superannuation, which means you are already investing. So the very first thing you could do is have a look at that because there's already money there being invested. Have a look at it and make an active choice about where you want that money. So whatever the super fund platform or product that you're in, have a look into what the investment options are. And if they have something that feels more aligned to you, like an ethical fund or whatever, move your money there. I mean, that's not advice. I'm not giving advice there or anything, but that's just. It's an option that's out there. Yeah, you could look at it. So that could be the first place because you're already invested. But then in terms of how do I get started with my personal, like my now money, not my retirement money, Again, this is not advice or even a product plug, but I use an app called Acorns that rounds up every time I swipe my bank card. If it's $4.50, it'll put 50 cents into an investment, not into a bank account. So you can literally be investing with as little as 50 cents. Um, So that's a great place to get started. Get that app link it to your bank account if you want to, not not advice, not a recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like it's right for you, then then check it out. But there, there are things like Acorns where you can just start investing literally cents. You can choose. I, there's an ethical option in there that I'm pretty sure I'm, I've invested in. I've moved it to whatever the most ethical one was within there. But you can look every day on the app and see what the market's doing and start to understand the stock market with as little as $10 or $100 or whatever it might be. So hearing what you were saying about it being a bit scary and it being like unknown and it feels really risky. You know, if you're putting $10 a week in or $10 a day or 50 cents a day, like it kind of takes the risk element out of it. Oh, definitely. Um, because, yeah. You're not feeling like, Oh, this is my hard earned thousand dollars a month. Like it feels a lot safer to just put that in the bank. Um, but in the bank, you know, you're not getting any capital growth. Your $2,000 is always $2,000 and you just get a little bit of interest, but the interest is like in the banks in Australia at the moment, like 2% or something. It's not very much. So with the stock market, you have capital growth plus interest in the form of dividends. Getting complicated, but I think the the grand, the bigger picture of what I'm trying to say, I guess, is you know, you, it's important to start thinking about 
cash, shares and property as what you would like to have within your portfolio ultimately, you know, and and to educate yourself slow and steady and small so that you feel more comfortable. So how many businesses would you say you've you've launched now? Uh, I think it is like maybe 10, I think. <laughs> Eight or that, ten or nine or something. That's yeah. like within ten years, like fifteen years, mm-hmm. maybe. Ten years, ten years. Ten I years. Started my first. Started my first company in the official registration was like November two thousand and nine. My first company. So. Wow. Yeah. And so, how old were you then? If I can, if I can ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can all do the numbers. Yeah. I was twenty-seven. Okay. Thirty-seven now. Yeah. Because I was wondering if you had started all of this, like, oh, I'm I'm 20 and I'm just plunging headfirst into my entrepreneurial journey. I mean, I was working in my dad's company from the age of 20. I went away overseas for a couple of years and then came back when I was 25. But yeah, pretty seriously from like 25 to 27, thinking I was going to take over that business, but then just got the itch to do something really 100% from the ground up of my own. So I think it was always in my blood. I don't think I knew that at the time, but I think it was always in my blood to kind of be a business owner. And if I look back, I'm I'm terrible with authority. Like I, I hate being told what to do. I all of that just I really struggle with it so at the moment you're mostly working on grow my team can you walk me through the process of just when you've decided like I think that this is a great idea I think that I want to start this business what would you say would be like the steps to kind of go and establish this this kind of business well I mean just to go back a tiny bit when you're talking about ideation and just at that phase the way I look at it is I have a lot of ideas all the time, but it's the ones that I keep obsessing over for like months and then maybe it goes away, but then it comes back. They're the ones that I'm like, all right, I'm, you know, I, I kind of get to a point where I'm like, I can't not do this. And then I'll run like a quick financial model of what I'm thinking it looks like commercially. And um, I usually kind of think a little bit about branding as well. Cause it's just the way my mind works. Like I can kind of see the brand position and then I can see the financials. It's sort of like the two um, it's probably like left and right hemisphere, right? I don't know, but that's, that's yeah. how my brain works. So I don't do like extensive business plans or anything, but I, I like to just ensure that I have what looks like commercial viability. And I also love to think about how it looks in the market, like how, you know, what that brand presence, brand persona is. But in terms of like grow my team, how that came about, I was, I was running Wealth Enhancers. I had, we had an office in South Melbourne, And the cost of wages in Australia is really, really high. And I was just starting to really struggle. Like we were growing, but I couldn't, um, I couldn't hire people to manage our growth because it's like balancing the rate of growth with putting on a new person in Australia where your total on costs are probably, you know, somewhere between 10 and $15,000 a month. Once you bring everything else into it, office yep. space, computer, you know, superannuation, da, 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 all the different things, even if it's, you know, the role isn't paying $10,000 a month, you're probably kind of actually taking on that kind of expense, not to mention the ongoing liability. Like we can't, you can't just fire someone in Australia. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of very fond of like the flexible model of, of contracting and also remote work. So at the same time that I was struggling to grow, I was also feeling very constrained and trapped in this whole office setup. I'd started my own company so that I could have more freedom and I was finding myself in there at 7am in the morning to make sure I was the first one there and I wouldn't leave until nine o'clock at night. And I was working myself to the bone and 
I just started thinking this isn't this doesn't make sense. And I spoke to somebody who had hired someone from overseas to do their accounting and it was working out really well. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to try that. So I went on Upwork or whatever it was, freelance, I think it was Upwork. And I just, you know, put a job ad out there and I scoured and I interviewed and eventually I found someone to become our financial controller. And, you know, what was probably, let's call it 100K salary in Australia, plus, 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 um, was maybe 2000 a month or maybe not even, maybe $1,500 a month. And she was amazing. She was way more than a bookkeeper um, and was able to actually do a whole lot of work and probably picked up a little bit of admin work as well and a bit of operations. And I was just like, my mind was blown by what I could now achieve. It was like all of a sudden the handbrake was off on my business. If I could start to change this and start to hire people in, like when you're committing $2,000 a month, that's a way different commitment. And and it's a contract, so you can get rid of them if the business changes or it's just not working out. Way bigger than like going through that process of hiring someone and that large salary and then what if it doesn't work out or what if our business changes, like how can we let them go? And so I just started thinking about it and I was like, oh, my God, this like other businesses like me need this. And I think within about six months, I'd launched Grow My Team, had some co-founders who I've since bought out and yeah, just started growing from there. So we just help professional services companies, basically. So we have a lot of, we work with a lot of mortgage brokers, financial planners, accountants, and then like digital agencies, that kind of thing. But basically, you know, so many jobs can be done from home these days and online. So we just specialize in, in recruiting and then managing anyone who's kind of like a professional who can work from home. That's really interesting. It's also interesting to see that you, you know, that you have that Australian perspective of the job market because not mm-hmm. everyone would know from a, a managerial perspective the kind of money that it takes to onboard someone, oh, especially if, if you're an entrepreneur, it, it must look astronomical if you, depending on, you know, how far along in your journey you are. Some people are not even paying themselves for a little while. Um, oh, I so didn't pay must... myself for four years and I was trying to hire people. So I might be forking out like a $100,000 salary for a salesperson. I'm not even paying myself. Three months later, they didn't make the sales that I thought they would. And what do I do? (laughs) Like that happened to me time and time again. I was just, I probably went through a two-year cycle of spending, of paying other people and working my business into debt and not paying myself. And I was like, this just can't, it just can't go on. Obviously, there are different thought schools of thought around it like you can quit your job and just go all in and you're you're back against the wall and you just make it happen and that's probably me um that would be more (laughs) of my my style and I know I thrive under like the right amount of pressure I think there's also too much pressure that can occur and has certainly occurred to me but I think the right amount of pressure I kind of know what that is and I thrive um there's also something to be said for like turning your job part-time or going into some consulting where you can do 10, 20 hours a week while you start your company. But I think um, you are going to mess it up when you start your first company. Like the chance, I, I still mess it up and I'm 10 years in, like I'm constantly making mistakes and I don't even look at it as mistakes anymore. It's just like a constant, like, try this. Did it work? Didn't it? Okay, cool. That's really hard to get used to in the beginning. Like you're probably coming from a career where you really know what you're doing and you feel really confident and then all of a sudden you're going into this thing, but you are not going to get it right. Like you are going to mess it up. It's going to be all wrong and it's going to be all different. Like 
whatever you think you're building when you're in your job and you're making your business plan or whatever it might be, I guarantee you like a year or two or three later, you've got a different beast on your hands. So, and I, the context of that is I, I see people in the first year of business just spending exorbitant amounts of money on things that they shouldn't be or that don't really make sense, like really expensive legal contracts or really expensive PR agencies or market agencies or business coaches or all of that. And I feel like just use that first year to play around and see what on earth you can create with as little money as possible. Like just, I think people get it in their head that I'm in business. I know I must spend money on all these things. Um, but it's probably in many cases going to be wasted because you don't yet know what the business is going to be. And most of us end up with a very different business two, three years down the track than what we what we started, or at least somewhat different because we learn so much as we go. So I yeah. think it's just such a common mistake that I hear from people in that first year. They're like, I wasted so much money last year. And it's like, because maybe they've gone into it with, like I've got $50,000 to invest in this business and that's what I'm going to do or I've got $100,000. Like $100,000 could last you ages if you're smart. Oh, um, yeah. And, you know, if you're silly, you can burn through it in six months and you probably like six months at my first six months of business, I knew nothing. My first freaking six years, I feel like I knew nothing. Like, <laughs> But it's just like a constant constant learning and and just be careful about where you're spending your money in the beginning and it took me a long time to even pay lawyers for proper contracts and, you know, pay a marketing agency. Like it took me years, whereas I'll see people do it straight off the bat. They don't even have a brand that anyone knows. There's no point in spending a whole lot of money on something when it's just launched, like play around with it, see what you can do. And obviously this is different if you raise money or whatever, and this is not, you know, the be all and end all, but I just, I just do see, a lot of waste um, that people just regret. They think, damn, I wish I had that money now. Now I actually know what I'm doing. I know what I'd do with it. Yeah, I, I completely understand that advice. And I think that it's wonderful to hear it from someone that, you know, you you can actually start a business and also be in that space where you're, you don't you don't go crazy and you don't like you know spend all this money and you actually trust yourself to make those mistakes and to learn and to know that it's going to come and saying that you've started so many businesses and you're like sometimes I don't know I most of the time I do now but sometimes I don't know I think it's really refreshing because sometimes people can be and I feel that that's also the empowerment of women and hearing other women talk is that sometimes mm -hmm. I don't see that transparency coming from uh, men sometimes not totally. all the time mm -hmm. but I feel like um, women have this willingness sometimes to share the fact that there were mistakes and that you will continue to mis make mistakes and that it's it's okay totally like it, I think it's just, yeah. I think probably one of the coolest things about being in business is just when you get to the point where you're just used to it and you're like oh that's just like I, I, I'm just used to it like anything could could come up any day and I'd be like oh well <laughs> messed that up it's okay like uh, it, it takes me such a short time now to get over mistakes whereas I, I'm sure like I remember in the first year it was like something would go wrong and I'd be like oh my god I'm a failure this is so bad how am I ever going to recover from this and now it's like your tolerance for what you can recover from just expands rapidly <laughs> And that probably makes you a stronger person just in general. I think so, yeah. 
I find, I mean, despite the fact that my entrepreneurial journey is extremely minimal at this point, it's, it's starting and I'm very interested in it. But even the small mistakes that I do, I feel like at least I'm trying to do something that's more aligned with my passions. Um, totally. And I think there's more discussion even now than 10 years ago when I first started around failure and the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Australia is more developed and it's, it's great. Like I think there's a little bit more understanding. And and I think one of the key things is surrounding yourself with other entrepreneurs so you can normalise what you're doing and what's happening much quicker. Yeah. Um, I think I might have spent maybe my first year not really with other entrepreneur friends or people in my life. So I just, yeah, going from like a job that I really knew really well that I was really competent at and could do with my eyes closed to like flailing was really challenging because I didn't know that everyone flails. I just thought it was me. <laughs> yeah. So I was wondering, is that part of the journey when you decided to create the league was that you went out and you were like, I need to surround myself with like-minded women? Yeah, totally. Like I was, I was, my first company was financial planning and I'd been working in my dad's financial planning business and I was on the board of the association of financial advisors and I had like a very strong network in financial services but kind of taking the leap from being an employed financial planner, even though it was in a family business, to my own thing, I was like, okay, great. Like, what is this professional association? What is this network now giving me? Like, it's great. I've got them here and I can keep learning about financial planning. But all of a sudden, I need to know about business. I need to know about people management and cash flow and marketing and sales and all of that. And And so I sort of like looked around and started tapping into things and it was sort of within that first year that I, I went to Entourage, an Entourage event and met Cheryl. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's how we met and, and Liz, our other co-founder, we all, we all met and um, there was another girl as well, Marie Cruz, who um, is no longer in the league, but we were the co-founders, all four of us, and it was just like the most amazing blessing to meet them, um, women entrepreneurs and, and everyone else who was in the entourage at the time and all the people that I met that I'm, I'm still friends with many of them today but that was major game changer for me because I'd never been in the entrepreneurial scene I'd never met a whole bunch of people my age who were starting businesses and um, it's been the most amazing journey because I've been Cheryl started her first company at the same time I did and we've been on that journey together Liz was exactly like we all basically started at the same time within that same 12-month period and met and we've been on this incredible journey together which includes launching the league of extraordinary women which is just like been a blessing like I can't it's like it got birthed out of us and now it's its own thing and we're just like wow this is amazing um, and it's changed I really believe I'm really proud of the league I really believe that it's changed the landscape in Australia for female entrepreneurs um, and not just in Australia but globally I mean we've advised governments we've made recommendation to the G20YA alliance we've done sort of that side of things but also just generally like I think there's so many more women now being showcased and represented and 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 empowered like we just wanted women to be supported and surrounded by other women and to reach the heights that men do because they can there's no difference it's just that we weren't seeing it we weren't seeing women up on stage telling their stories we weren't seeing women who had received investment or who had built a big company or sold a company or taken a company internationally or whatever it might be like we just weren't seeing it um whereas now we do and we've partnered with media where we've interviewed people and gotten the stories out that way and yeah it's been such an incredible journey 
Yeah. Interestingly enough, the journey of the Vegan Women Collective, which obviously lives completely in parallel of the league, just from where it's at, because we're mostly in Melbourne. And also I attended the league events. I don't need to, I don't think that they need to be mutually exclusive. But for me, that was a little bit also what kind of launched the idea behind the collective or behind just organizing maybe smaller events where we can also bring vegan women together. Because I think that there's this added layer and that you were saying also that, you know, you apply that into your life, uh, your investment opportunities, your decisions. I think there's value in also having that additional layer of mindset if you are on an entrepreneurial journey to in addition to bringing women together that having that additional set of values is potentially interesting and valuable yeah it's so interesting I think I remember league conference um mid-year 2017 it was like a bit of a amazing turning point where every single speaker that got up completely unprompted talked about heart-led business and intuition and it was just like Cheryl and I were like oh my god it was like this is our journey and now this has culminated in like it's it's coming out on stage like it's it's so weird it's like just the energy that we all kind of attract and and create and and push out there but yeah I think aligning yourself with people and organizations that have shared values things that that you care about it's like amazing it's like-minded people and I think we go further when we're around that sometimes you can feel afraid that other people are succeeding and you're just like but why am I not succeeding or what am I doing wrong or what are they doing that I should be doing and so there, there can be elements of that so I think it's important to reinforce the message that it is important to bring people with you and to eliminate that potential jealousy or fear of the success of others. I think it's really important to focus on running your own race. Like, what are you trying to create? What are you trying to achieve? What is the vision and values for your company and your organization? And then surround yourself with other amazing people who are driven and motivated. You don't need to compare yourself with them. But I guarantee if they are beautiful people who are also driven and motivated and passionate and, you know, shared kind of commonalities, you are all going to go so far together because there are ups and downs along the way. There are failures and wins. Just celebrate them all and commiserate them all and just be together on the journey. But you'll learn so much from each other. Like I cannot tell you the amount of learning that Cheryl and I have shared over the years. Like we've had phone calls in tears over this happening and we've had nights out drinking champagne celebrating that happening and it's just a constant constant journey but I think transparency and authenticity is really important and finding people that you really trust because yeah we're all especially when you start like you're out there going like look how shiny and amazing I am because you're trying to fake it till you make it and do all of those things but it's hard behind the scenes and if you can have those trusted people where you can be like passionate and driven and motivated but really willing to go into the struggles you know, you'll also get a lot further. If you're all hanging around just pretending everything's amazing and you're a baller and you're killing it, well, where's the learning in that? Like, it's not true because it's not that easy. It just isn't. I don't, I've never heard an entrepreneur be like, oh yeah, I just win every single thing I do every single day. It's just perfect. Like, it's just not how it is. I mean, I know basically almost my entire social circle are entrepreneurs now and the journey is rough. Um, and 
like hopefully it's an upward trajectory, but it's rocky and bumpy and all those uh, memes and scriggles where it's like what it looks like and the straight arrow and what it really is and all the ups and downs. Find the people that are willing to let you in on their ups and downs um, and, and be that person for them and you guys will go far. And that was Sarah Regalhood from Grow My Team and from so many other ventures. After discussing with her, I felt a renewed sense of purpose and that really anything is possible if you put your whole heart into it. I honestly hope that you feel the same. Now, I thought that this episode might be the right one to officially launch our Patreon page. For those of you that don't know Patreon, it's basically a platform to support content producers and artists with projects and in this case, the Vegan Women Collective podcast. I would have chosen an Australian platform if there was one, but at the moment, Patreon really is the only one or the one that is used by most. If you find the podcast valuable and that you enjoy our content and that you would like to support what we do as the podcast does have some costs, please head to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com, so patreon.com forward slash vegan women collective, where you can support us for as little as $5 a month. If that's not possible for you, I completely understand and I will keep bringing this content because I think it's important to hear the voices of powerful and inspiring women within the vegan movement. I will also be donating 10% of the profits to a verified animal charity or rescue group until I reach 250 Patreon supporters, an absolute dream for which I will increase the profit donation to 20%. Now, if you like this episode, please make sure to subscribe to our show, rate us and tell all of your vegan friends. For any comments or suggestions, including potential guests, both in Australia and abroad, please feel free to email us at hello at veganwomencollective.com. The Vegan Women Collective podcast is recorded, mixed and produced by myself, Rachel LaMarche. I thank you again for listening and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers! <laughs>